G'day everyone, my name is Sam, if we haven't met before. I'm just going to move off room position yourself in. Um, uh, my name is Sam, I get to work with the engineering and IT students. Um, uh, if you haven't met before, I'd like to have a chat to you later. Um, really glad you're here on this wet, wonderful day. Um, Post-Tuvac, we're kind of approaching that point in the semester, aren't we? Uh, but glad you're here, and especially if you're visiting, it's great that you come. Um, hope we can have a chat afterwards. Uh, we're about to get into uh, reading part of the Bible and uh, thinking through part of what the Bible says on this topic of slavery. Uh, so I'm going to read this passage. It's from uh, 1 Peter, a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. You've got them in your handouts. Feel free to go to town on that with a pen. Do whatever helps you um, engage with it. Uh, we can follow along on one of the screens around you. Peter says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they held their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die for sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, I'm going to quickly pray for us as we uh, tackle this fairly heavy topic of slavery. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for the rain. We pray that it might be sent to where it's needed most, and we thank you for this chance to um, be together now to think through this important topic, and um, we pray that you'd lead us to truth and help us to see the change that it makes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's pretty clear that slavery uh, is a horrible institution, right? Just doing that survey on that website. I think mine was fairly low from what I heard comparatively. They're still kind of confronting. 46, just from the rough things I could put in. 46 slaves. Uh, the owning of another human being as property dehumanizes them. It enables the flourishing of abuse and violence and the unrestrained pursuit of evil desires at the expense of another person. Estimates are that there are over 40 million slaves today, one quarter of whom are children. From financial and social control of widows in Africa, through to children working in the brick kilns in India, through to women and children being forced into the cyber sex trade in the Philippines to gratify the desires of Western men primarily. It's fair to say that Christianity as well has had a checkered history when it comes to slavery. See, slaveholders in America uh, regularly justify their practices by appealing to theology in the Bible. Uh, you might not be able to see it there. That is a picture of a Negro slave's life from 1807 
in which they took out parts of the Old Testament they thought might put the idea of freedom into the slave's head. On the other hand, some of the greatest abolitionists, like William Wilberforce, found their motivation and perseverance to fight the slave trade in their love of Jesus and the Bible. And then we have passages like today, which at first glance seem to perpetuate the slave trade. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Now, we haven't got time to do a comprehensive study of all the Bible's teaching on slavery. Uh, I do hope that we'll shed some light on Peter's instructions here on what's happening and what he's telling slaves to do and how they should live. But I also want us to see how it points to a greater freedom that Steph alluded to in their highlight. So if you're new here, uh, we've been looking at this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to early Christian communities, helping them to work out how Jesus shapes and impacts their whole life now that they follow him. Uh, he majors on some major themes. Sorry, he's a group of Christians in kind of modern-day Turkey, uh, scattered around that area. And he majors on a few themes. Uh, a few verses before our chapter, uh, our verses here. He calls them aliens and strangers. The fact that these Christians still live where they did, but they don't quite fit as they used to anymore. Something's changed in them that makes them different to the world around them. Uh, it's kind of like if you're at your friend's house. I don't know if you've experienced this or it's just me. You go for dinner. Maybe it was like the first time at a boyfriend or girlfriend's house. And uh, you're, having, you're having dinner. And then you do something that quite clearly is a social profile. You know, you, you cross a line and suddenly you can tell, oh my, I'm the outside here. It's kind of like that. They're in their culture, but they don't quite feel at home anymore. There's, there's a difference in them. Secondly, Peter encourages them not to withdraw, not to fight their community, but to kind of maintain a, a nuanced presence amongst their culture, particularly by doing good. That's a thing that comes up through these chapters. Uh, as a little side note, that's why credo communities like this, like our small groups, are open places where you can come, you can explore, you can discover. We're not a kind of secret society coming away together. And thirdly, Peter knows that they're suffering for being Christians. That the Greco-Roman culture that they live in looked at them with suspicion. Now you can kind of sum up Peter's argument in this section and what we're looking at over the next few weeks as do good, even if you suffer for it, for God's sake. And his advice through all of this in regards to authorities that we saw a couple of weeks ago, in regards to slaves, and then next week as we look at wives, is to submit. That's kind of the default stance of the Christian in response to the pressure they felt for their faith. And so slaves are told to submit to their masters. Now I wonder if you also kind of tensed up a bit when you heard that word. It runs so counter against the grain for us, doesn't it? My kind of Western middle class sensibility is, oh, submission. Kind of, I want to take a shower now. Because uh, I would much prefer if Peter called them to arms, right? Rise up, revolt, rally, overthrow the ruling class. Maybe that's just my roots of the history student. <laughs> because my autonomy is king, right? 
And any kind of submission is just it's irksome for us. Isn't Peter just reinforcing the system? Isn't he even making it worse? He says, submit not just to your nice masters, bosses, even to the unjust ones. He even gives it a religious spin, doesn't he? In reverent fear of God. Isn't this dangerous territory, Peter? Now we need to remember that he's helping them see how Christianity works itself out in response to unfair claims that are coming against them. We don't know necessarily the details of this. It seems like they were experiencing pressure and suspicion and at least verbal abuse based on their conduct, based on their faith. Uh, It's entirely likely that Christians were accused of disloyalty to Rome and all the societal structures that came with that, that talk of Jesus as Lord and God threaten the establishment, threaten the way things were. And Peter's saying, don't cause any unnecessary waves. Just think about how you tend to respond to injustice when it comes your way. Often we either lash out violently, these are my rights, or we kind of just become the door. But Peter's kind of saying, don't do either, just Stay involved. Be a really good slave. Even to unfair masters. It would be like continuing to work hard at your job even if your boss constantly kind of pokes fun at you or overlooks your contribution. And to me the big question is why? Why does Peter tell slaves to live this way? Why toe the line? in this horrible societal structure. But there's actually a really great irony at play. See, Peter and then the Apostle Paul and Jesus as well, none of them kind of confront slavery head on. They didn't do the, the abolitionist movements, they didn't kind of start a, a, a social media campaign or rallies. But their teaching was so subversive. And ultimately, even more radical than abolition, that it so succeeds for the future resistance of slavery that Christians have. And you begin to see it in Peter's suggestion that unjust suffering can be a good thing, not for its own sake, not like masochism, but with a greater purpose in mind. What's the slave's motivation? Being conscious of God. What does he mean by this? Is it just kind of like a vague sense of like thinking of your God and that telling yourself to make yourself feel better? Is it that kind of thing? I actually think the key lies before what you've got printed there, unfortunately. What uh, a verse in the section that Rob spoke on a few weeks ago will be up on the slide, verse 16 of this chapter. Peter says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants, literally slaves of God. Do you see that? Peter says, submit because you're free. Here I think is the seed of abolition. For the Christian, their outer circumstance, their their societal standing, the labels that were so often given, no longer cease to define them. In one of Paul's letters in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, 
that for those who've come to Jesus, the fact that you're a Greek, sorry, Greek, George, Greek or Jew, the fact that you're white or black, male or female, from the North Shore or the Western suburbs, slave or free, none of that matters anymore. None of it is any credit to you before God. You are all one in Christ. Just try and get your head around this, okay? As slaves, I'm bound to be subordinate to authorities, Peter says, and to my master, not out of patriotism, not out of fear of my master's punishment or their reward. No, than to be subordinate for the sake of God out of obedience to him as his slaves. There's this deep why to their actions. Because there's this deeper center to who they now are. See, Peter isn't calling for just a blanket, no qualifications type submission, I don't think. Not an unquestioning obedience, but neither does he let them think that their freedom in Jesus is license to rebel. No, because their whole life is now for God's sake. And that's because there is a truer and deeper freedom that Peter has in mind. See, for these Christian slaves, as for all Christians, we count ourselves as people who are saved. People who have been called out of darkness into light, Peter says. People who've received mercy. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, Peter says, we were redeemed, that's a slavery type word, redeemed from the empty way of life that we used to live and from our sinful desires. And the Christian knows that the gospel is momentous news, that Jesus has rescued and redeemed and freed us from our true slavery to sin and to ourselves. This is news for everyone, everywhere, because we're all in some way enslaved to something, whether you recognize it or not. It might show itself in the way that you relate to your parents, constantly trying to seek and win their approval. Or, like we heard in that testimony, that they're chasing after fulfillment in a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and needing to feel loved and approved of and accepted. Maybe it's in your compulsive connection to social media that you're enslaved to it. This need to, to know, fear of missing out. Maybe it's in your addiction to pornography or another substance, trying to fill those gaps that we have in our life, those longings, and we become enslaved to these things. So maybe it's the incessant drive to succeed your vocation. Whatever it is that captures your devotion, that directs your decisions and your behaviors, the news of Jesus proclaims a truer freedom from these things. A freedom that goes a bit deeper than our circumstances, which it in turn reorients how we understand ourselves and the world and others. So you think about it from a slave point of view. You're owned by another person. Often you suffer the results of the master's selfish desires, whether it's for power or control or greed or lust. Masters who take and use other precious human beings to satisfy themselves as tools for their own end, whether it's to, to accrue wealth, 
or the horrors of sexual gratification, you're told as a slave that you are worth nothing. You are extendable, you're exchangeable, you're sellable, you're refundable. You can do nothing without the permission of your master. For these slaves, the gospel of Jesus, of God taking on flesh, coming to save us, dying for them. They discover a new worth to themselves. A new belonging. A new freedom under a greater master. See, God says of slaves, you belong to me. Not just as my slave, but as my child. And you have a new status that is fully and unassailably free. Now, this may feel a little bit like an out-of-the-fry-pan-into-the-fire kind of situation, right? I'm free, but now I'm a slave again. And it might feel that way until you realise that this master is the one who came as a servant, as a slave, himself, to buy us back with nothing short of his own blood. Christians are free people, and they're slaves to God. Uh, the reformer Martin Luther captures this paradox really nicely in this phrase. A Christian is a perfectly free, audible, subject to none. Jesus freed us. We don't need to live by other people. But at the same time, the Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant to all, subject to all. See, our freedom frees us from living for ourselves and for the need of others to, to give us worth and value. But in that freedom, we now use it to serve and love and submit to others. Ultimately serving, loving, and submitting to God. Not trying to impress Him to earn His favour or, or put aside His anger, but as heartfelt thanks to what He has done for us. That is why slaves are to submit. Because they understand their life to be God's now. The very call upon them to submit and do good, I think, actually honours them in a way. It gives them an agency they didn't have before. A dignity that they, they can choose to do this in love and response to what God has done for them. But they submit to their earthly masters with the overriding control that they're not ultimately beholden to these earthly masters anymore. See, submission at its simplest, I think, means relating properly to those in order, in authority over us, carrying out the tasks expected of them, honouring those people, now, we're obviously in a very different place to, to, to slaves Peter's talking to. Hopefully, none of you are someone else's property. You can always unenroll from your course, right? Or quit your job. But I think the stance of the slave is representative. I think that's why Peter goes here. It's representative for what all Christians have to do in the face of injustice. Uh, this means a number of things. First, I think it means being relentless do even when it's not reciprocated. Even in the face of unfairness. Think about how you treat that person in your group assignment who's just a dead weight. Or who's skiving off and slacking off. See, even in the face of suffering, slaves would understand themselves as, verse 21, being called to this, to meet evil and injustice with good. Secondly, I think it means working hard, even if your boss or lecturer doesn't really inspire it. Uh, the Apostle Paul encourages slaves in a letter he wrote, Obey your earthly masters in everything, 
And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. And thirdly, we're not to use our freedom as an excuse for evil. But to me the question is, how do you do this? How do you actually swallow this call to to not always stick up for yourself in this way, or, or fight back when you face injustice? How do you meet resistance with non-retaliation? Because it's up to me, I, I just want to lash out. Where do we get the power to be able to submit in this way? Have a look at where Peter takes us. We've seen that suffering injustice is commendable when we're conscious of God, honouring him as our supreme master. And Peter goes and shows us what this is like in two ways. First, this is from verse 21 onwards, Jesus is the ultimate example of gracious suffering. To this you are called, this standard of conduct, this submission and non-retaliation, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they, those that killed him, hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the judge who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. This is the life we're called to because Jesus suffered for us to redeem us, to free us from our slavery. The slavery of all mankind. The cross is not just a ticket in God's family and his kingdom. It's actually the pattern for how we keep living. Being conscious of God is knowing that he's not some despotic master who stands far off and directs, you know, commanded us. No, he's the God who suffers with and for us and who calls us to something greater even than just the temporal comfort we often want. And in his suffering, wonderfully unlike me, when he faced insult, he didn't retaliate. He met abuse with non-violence. And he did so conscious of God and with the goal of saving us. See, the call to submit can only be good news if we stand in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. His obedience, suffering, and glory. He bears our sins and calls us to follow him in his footsteps. To see that suffering unjustly, while not good in itself, can be a vehicle to glorify God. Jesus is the ultimate example of gracious suffering. But secondly, you can only achieve this kind of shape to your life, this stance of submission in the face of injustice, if you are assured that justice will be done. Uh, Miroslav Volf, a theologian writing in the wake and first-hand experience of the Balkan Wars, says this, the practice of non-violence requires belief in divine means. I think we're going to dip into this again next week, but the idea that you can you can only forego a present injustice if you know that ultimately it's going to be dealt with. Knowing that God's going to bring complete justice to the world. That he's going to right every wrong. That Jesus himself entrusted himself to God who justly and so do we. 
See, if you follow Jesus, you're grounded in this new understanding of yourself. So you don't have to win the approval of others. And you know that any injustice that goes unpunished now is seen by God and will be made right. That's why enduring unjust suffering is commendable in God's sight. So knowing this, you can work hard even in unfair circumstances. Because you don't need to prove yourself. Knowing this, you can do good to the freeloader in your group work because that pleases God, your Father, who did good to you. Knowing this, slaves can bear up under injustice, knowing that nothing their worldly masters can do can take away their status before God. And that one day he will bring unjust masters to justice. I just want to do a short word on slavery more generally before I conclude because I realise we kind of haven't gone there because Peter doesn't go there. He doesn't outrightly condemn the practice of slavery. Instead, we've seen that the Bible teaches this deeper, truer truth about freedom. And I don't want to pretend that what we read here is hard. It's hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to accept. To say you ought to be subordinate in the face of injustice is just a grueling concept for us, right? But the teaching of how to live as slaves doesn't mean that the Bible supports slavery. We need to actually read the whole story of the Bible to see how it declares the truth that all humans are dignified and equally worthy because they bear God's image. This truth that kind of cuts slavery out from itself. We also see that God is the God of liberation. So he has a special consideration for the powerless and the vulnerable. That means that he draws near to them, that he promises this kind of justice. That when someone does suffer unjustly, he sees them when no one else does. And so Christians of all people ought to be champions of the rights of fellow we follow Jesus' example of suffering, but we also follow his example of using our power for the sake of others. But even deeper than that, the story of slaves tells us about ourselves. Peter shows us that the difference Jesus makes to the very substance of our being and day-to-day lives, how he rescues us from ultimate slavery to sin and frees us to live lives devoted to God, enduring suffering, waiting for his final justice, how we have this new worth and dignity that is irregardless of your social status. And that all this enables this surprising way to live in the face of opposition. It's crazy that slaves are called to submit to unjust treatment of themselves. But this is a radical response to slavery. And so I want to say, if it's something you're grappling with, if it's something that you just got the questions that are burning in you right now or you want to explore more, if it's either too good to be true or just kind of outrageous, please do something about that. Okay, don't just let it sit there and disappear. Uh, here at Credo, people are always supporting the claim to Jesus. Uh, it's kind of it's normal for us to talk about that. We, we, we want to get to know Jesus more. He's the one who makes sense of this. Uh, you'll hear some options for how you might do that in a minute. Uh, also, I just want you to know, feel free to write down any things questions on your talkback forms. I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can grab me afterwards as well. But I just want to say maybe today, 
God's shown you that, like Jordan, God can make you free from what you're enslaved to. And that you're ready to take him up on that offer. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you.